friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's like officially official, right, Jake? It's here. We're happening. We're together, sort of, through an internet connection. <laughs> and um, we are about to bring the world the preeminent podcast episode on the Black Panther movie. You're not ready. Nobody's ready. No, no nobody's ready. I, I certainly wasn't ready. This movie, well, like, I'm, still, I'm still trying to put my face back on because it melted off. <laughs> Man, we talked about this for like two months and we're actually doing it. This is amazing. I know it's crazy. It's here and we're live. This is the watching comics podcast. If you are brand new and didn't catch our trailer last week, welcome. My name is Mitch. I am Jake. And we are two uh, people from Nebraska that you've probably never heard of. And it's going to be a good time. We're just mild mannered folks who love comics, love movies and love TV. And we're just going to talk about those things being fused together. Today, we're talking about all things uh, Black Panther movie, because in case you were living under a rock, the Black <laughs> Panther movie was released and it basically started a revolution. Yeah, no joke. I mean, this thing is like it's everywhere. And I, you know, I don't know, like spoilers on this. My role here is the comic nerd. And like <laughs> I did not see it coming as big a deal as it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. It, and it like. It obviously was picking up momentum because it was a cultural phenomenon before the film was even screened, which makes total sense. The, the, the racial component, the equality component, the feminism component, all that sort of stuff. It's very important, and we, and we can touch on that a little bit, but yeah. it, it was already building up to be a monumental thing, whether it was going to be good or not, and it just helps everything that the movie didn't suck. It was absolutely incredible. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I, mean I, you know, I don't, I don't want to bury the lead here. I liked it. Um, okay, I thought good. a lot. That's we'll, good. we'll get into it, but yeah. So Jake liked it. That's really all that matters. So um... <laughs> podcast over. Thanks for coming. See you next yeah. week. Mic drop. Um, <laughs> I I do want to eventually ask the bold questions. Two two really bold questions. One is is Black Panther the best Marvel movie, and two is it the best comic book movie ever made? But we don't have to answer those right away. <laughs> But um, I'm just I'm going right for the jugular, man. (laughs) I think I I don't I know, uh, Jake, I call you Twitterless Jake because you are not on the Twitters. I I live on the Twitters. You're a better human than me. That's really what that means. (laughs) Well, you know, what happened is I, I had a Twitter and I've had like three jobs over the last decade, and I've tried to tie each Twitter to them as was appropriate. And I looked at mm. it one day, and it was just this giant mess of inconsistencies, and I didn't use it, so I just shut it down. So I, maybe returning do, one day to Twitter, who knows? I do miss just your hand because for a while it was Jake's on a plane, and that was like top five best Twitter handles I've seen. <laughs> but um, I, I bring this up because um, – Twitter, Twitter is a big part of my life and the Twitter world that I kind of live in has brought Black Panther into the discussion of it's in the upper echelon of comic book movies, period. So that's that's why I bring this up. I don't want to I don't want to get sucked too much into hyperbole or into too much of a recency bias, because obviously, like not every comic book movie that gets released deserves to be in that conversation, because all 15 Fantastic Four movies we've had just belong in the toilet. (laughs) But 
Black Panther is clearly being geared towards a conversation by droves and droves of people about being in the conversation of the best of. So we need to get to that at some point. But yeah, definitely. We have a couple of other segments that we want to talk about as well, like some awards we're going to give out, uh, like who won the movie, six man of the movie. And uh, could this movie have been better if something was different, that sort of thing. But first, Jake, I want you just to come in hot. And, and give me your take. Tell me initially, uh, you watched Black Panther last night, actually, and mm-hmm. I've been sitting on uh, this movie since Saturday. So um, I've had a few days to digest, and you're coming in fresh. So get, come in hot. Tell me what you got. Well, I, I think that to appropriately review this, and, and you've touched on a little bit, that this is a movie that has become a bigger thing than what it is a little bit. Um, and it's kind of captured a moment, and it's captured... Uh, it's become, you know, if I can throw my own big word in there, like it's become part of the zeitgeist here, right? Like it's Mm, zeitgeist. Say what? Zeitgeist. That's the special word of the day, ladies and gentlemen. It is, you know, we're going to need a sound effect for that or something, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but so like, it's, it's just, it's become something bigger. And so I think that it's only appropriate that I begin by making sure that everybody knows that I am, I am just pure lily white um and i am (laughs) and 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 you know so that's gonna i think that that though is appropriate to lead with you know to say that this is a movie that it's gonna be seen from a lot of different perspectives and it very well should be and i I think it's important for me to open with that um you know i don't know mitch if you want to confess to your ethnicity but you know so we um I, I yeah, think I'm, I want to come from that I'm perspective. That being said, and I'll touch on all that in a little bit, just to kind of, just to broad strokes hit it. I thought it was a really good movie, and and one of my big takeaways was that it was much more complex than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I love these things, right? Like I, I I think I'm sitting in a room right now that has probably a couple hundred comic books in it. Um, of course, nothing it crazy. Because- because you're yeah nothing crazy just a couple hundred you're a yeah, totally no, normal functioning human being yeah absolutely just there's just a couple car payments worth of comic books in here as well um and, and also a, a clear thing that we both need to identify early on as people are starting to get to know us neither one of us are coming from our mom's basements correct yes i have two children and i own this house um <laughs> boom <laughs> <laughs> no but uh i i do want to say that like you know, I from the perspective that I brought to it as the comic book guy, as somebody that that loves these things, and I, I really do just indulge in this this nerd culture. It's such a good time to be a nerd. Um, I didn't see it being as complex as it ended up being, and um, you know, I, I guess there's going to have to be a point here where we're going to have to throw up the spoiler warning. But this is not it yet. So without getting into that, I thought that there were really relatable motivations on both sides of the conflict. Um, mm, yes. I, yes, I yes, thought yes. I'm that. so glad you brought that up. Yeah. And that's one thing I want to get into. I, I do want to, if I can really dive deep for just a minute or two here on our listeners, hopefully I'm not scaring everyone off on the very first episode. Um, my research. Guys, we're going this, to, we are. Yeah, but this is it. Everybody. You're going to hyper drive deep dive. Like we're really getting in here. Um, Let's the, do the, it. The nerd, the nerdery is open. So I, my homework for this podcast was to read several years worth of Black Panther comics, um, which Black Panther is not a character that I've read a ton of. I read a little bit, 
Um, and the big run in Black Panther's history is from the 90s. And it's by a guy named Christopher Priest. And it's groundbreaking because um, while there had been non-white people, black people involved in some capacity in comic books prior, Christopher Priest is the first major he's the first full-time writer and editor i believe it is if i'm wrong somebody can certainly harass mitch on twitter um (laughs) but i believe he's the first full-time writer and editor of comic books at either marvel or dc who was african-american everyone remember this christopher priest boys and girls his name will be on the quiz it's really important. He's like, I mean, in all honesty, with respect to everyone else who's listen, who's uh, written Black Panther, because I know you're all listening, um, Priest is the definitive <laughs> run. He's like, you know, every comic book has that one that you're like, oh, that's what defined the character. And for, for Black Panther, it was Priest. And he... It's like Frank Miller in, with Daredevil. Yes, Frank Miller with... Very, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, Christopher Priest grabbed hold of this character that up to that point had been just a superhero like any other... And he brought him back to, no, this dude's a king. And there were two thoughts I had when I read those comics. The first was, this thing is so 90s, it might as well be Pogs. Um, (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that may be the most tweet-worthy thing you've ever said. (laughs) Well, stay tuned. Um, We need to make bumper stickers. This was so 90s-tastic, it might as well be Pogs. Man, I mean, like, there's a Monica Lewinsky joke on every other page. Um, oh, Lord, yes. Oh, man, it's crazy. It's it's just uh, Bill Clinton actually cameos in it. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> it's so 90s. And like ripping in 90s comic views. books, you know that that means everybody has about 32 more abs than they need. And it's just like everybody's built like hulking and huge. Uh, But Black Panther really became an awesome character there. My other takeaway was somehow Christopher Priest managed to take this character who is a king of a fictional African nation and make his book about America. And it's just that was my I think that was probably my big concern coming into the movie to tie it all back together was I kept thinking right or wrong. People put a lot on this movie. We talked about it became a movement. We talked about it had really become a bigger thing than it was. It was carrying a large burden. A huge one. Whether it was going to be good or not, it was carrying a large burden, a large banner. Because because Hollywood has finally decided that people other than white men can carry films. Um, Exactly. Exactly. And they want us to congratulate them for it, which is a whole different podcast, I think. Um, But – yeah, and, and so, like, this movie had a lot riding on it one way or another. And my concern going in, and again, this is from the perspective of middle-class white dude in Nebraska. But my concern was, how does this movie that is set almost entirely in a fictional African nation have anything to say about race in America? Oh. And, and, and that holy was one crap, of my big concerns. Say what? And holy crap, did it deliver Oh my gosh, so much so. Like it, it delivered was so in incredible fashion. Spot. Yeah, it, it they nailed it. Like this was so and that's my big thing is like this was so true to the work of Christopher Priest in that way that it managed to grab hold of who we are right now and what our conflicts are as people who are trying to learn to live together and it took this seemingly unrelated thing in Wakanda and made such a statement. And I will say that the 
I, I will come back to the point of I think the most genius point of all of this coming to a head was Marvel giving the keys over to Ryan Coogler. Oh, um, I want to I want to go down the Ryan Coogler uh, trail a little bit here because um, Marvel. I, I cried at Creed, damn it. I know, right? It was because Creed is, is <laughs> Creed is the is the Rocky sequel we deserved from like thirty years ago, right? But <laughs> I'm sorry, I... but, but I mean, we we all can call a spade a spade. Comic books are formulaic to a point. Even the really really good ones, like the comic book movies, are formulaic to a point because that's part of what makes it a comic book. It it breathes and lives off of archetype, and it is fantastical, and it is supposed to follow within a certain framework. Now that framework is a rather large arena. Uh, for people to play in, but it's still a framework and there is some rigidity there. What I love about the decision for the Black Panther helming was that they tapped Ryan Coogler. And here's the deal. Like um, if, if you're following the Ryan Coogler trails on the Twitters at all, you'll see that he's starting to garner a lot of early Steven Spielberg comparisons. And I, I have to say that I am 100% in favor of that. I am here for the Ryan Coogler, the next big American name-worthy movement-happening movie director. Um, because here's the deal. If you compare Steven Spielberg early in his career with some of his early, early movies that were just, it seemed like he was hitting Hall of Fame-level crap right, right and left with, like, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, E.T. Like, he was just pulling these things. So you go to Ryan Coogler, he's made three, and I mean only three full-length feature films 2011 or 2013 2015 and here in 2018 and all three of them i would consider to be a plus nine out of ten or ten out of ten rated movies and part of what makes him such a good person to helm this particular one is what he did with fruitville station which if you listeners are not familiar with this movie it is on netflix and you need to add it to your queue ASAP. It's only an hour and 20 minutes and it is visceral and it is about the true story of Oscar Grant III and about him getting um, gunned down um, in a racial profiled way by uh, police officers. And And I actually have not seen it yet and that's my to-do this weekend. So you're not alone, listeners. It's it is it is definitely one that that you need to see. It is it is timely, and that was what he. And it's a high quality movie, and I arguably Michael B. Jordan's best performance out of his entire career. And so we're sitting that that's the first thing that Coogler shot out of the cannon, and then he came out with Creed, and now we have Black Panther. So I say this to say is that Coogler is not just a brilliant creative; he is a a educated young man who understands his black heritage and the moment that he is seizing right now. And he knows how to handle the situation in order to both provide good social commentary, make high quality art and still provide the right amounts of adrenaline fueled escapism at the same time. And I don't know if I can name very many other directors that I would trust to do all of those things in the high quality fashion that he did. And that, that comment about Michael B. Jordan is really high praise because, as I'm sure our regular listeners will know, he did star in the story mode version of NBA 2K17. So Most for shizzle. And also <laughs> in the Keanu Reeves movie Hardball. 
I mean, so obviously he's got some high quality stuff there, um, but he's he, he's a legitimate actor, and I would dare say that uh, Killmonger is by leaps and bounds the most compelling and well performed villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, so I want to get into that a little bit because last time you and I talked, we touched on the Vulture. Um, yes, and so that's one thing I want to get in, and we'll we'll you call it when we're ready to do spoilers, so people who haven't seen it can turn off. But I I want to let's get just into do that. it right now. Let, let's okay, do spoiler, spoiler time. Alert. Spoiler time, we're going to be talking about ish that has happened that you have not seen yet. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, go see it now. Stop what you're doing. What's, you know, why are you listening to this? And then come back and finish. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's what normal people would do. That's what we we want to appreciate you fans. Go see the movie, come back and press play. It'll be fine. We'll still be here. You can buy your tickets on your way there. Or if you have movie pass, just swipe your card, yo. Mm. Is that good? Do you have that? I do. And it is life changing. Um, my wife gave it to me for my 30th birthday and oh, it is my top five gifts I've ever gotten in my life. It's that good. Ooh. All right. Maybe getting a movie pass. Um, it's, it's legit. So, so Killmonger, first of all, can we just comment on the fact that Ryan Coogler, as, as you have rightly praised him, is so talented as a creator that he took a character that I kid you not is named Eric Killmonger and made it into a <laughs> complex and deep analysis on race relations in the 21st century. Like he did that. That's Eric Killmonger, everybody. And like, that's insane. And I did like also that, what was his name? Like Eric Stevenson or something in the movie. Yeah. Let me, AKA let me Killmonger. Something. Yeah. Killmonger was, yeah. Eric Killmonger was his name was his moniker because he killed a record amount of people in the service. Um, so yeah, getting into it a little bit. Um, you know, the last time you and I talked, um, we, we did Spider-Man for your last podcast, which was also awesome. And, Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, for those who haven't heard that or, you know, don't have time, you know, we really, I think we both agreed that the vulture, Michael Keaton's vulture was a really good step forward for Marvel. It was because the the one the one big drawback I would have with Marvel is that um, their villains went one of two ways. Either it was we're going to put Loki in his 12th movie, (laughs) which is just dumb, or we're going to give you a villain that is so straw man and two dimensional that it almost is like taking a bite of chocolate cake. That's so sweet. You have to spit it out like it's it's that bad. I mean, you know, you look at. um again, deep nerd moment, but like Thor two is, I think probably the low point in the Marvel universe. And, um, you look at, uh, they had, um, Christopher Eccleston, uh, for my fellow (laughs) doctor who nerds, the ninth doctor. The Yeah. Um, Christopher Eccleston as Malekith, the accursed, which if, you know, if 10 years ago, you told me that was happening, I'd have wet my pants with excitement. Because uh, it's a really great character with a really great actor, and then he has what, like, fifteen minutes of screen time where he just kind of scowls and grunts. And yeah, at best, at, at best, best. and then it's done. It's and, probably coming in hot at like a nice, strong twelve and a half minutes, right? And and it's just such a waste of a character and a waste of an actor. And we're not getting that back, you know? Like, we're not going to get a do-over on Malekith. We're not getting Christopher Eccleston in to play another role. Um, and I don't know. I mean, they're fine. I think, though, that like, anyway, back to the topic, Vulture was a really good step forward because, as we discussed, he kind of hit on that 
big man versus little man, you know, and he hit on some kind of class struggle stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a nuanced it, character. He was, he was written well to, to fit for the time and to be someone that you could provide empathy for on a certain level. And they ponied up to get a good enough actor that could pull that off as well. Yeah, and I and I think um, in a lot of ways, I think that Killmonger is the fulfillment of that. I, th- I think that he is the next step in that evolution that you begin with Michael Keaton. And I'm I'm really excited that maybe, just maybe, Marvel is like onto something now where they're saying, hey, there can be two sides to this coin, and we can have nuanced villains and nuanced heroes. Well, I mean, kill, uh, spoiler alert: Killmonger is the reason. Uh, I mean, he is the fuel for the, he is the real reason behind why um, T'Challa changes his course and changes his philosophy and the way he's going to rule. Like basically going into the movie, like for the sake of just a really obvious and feeble comparison, like if we just want to put it into American politics right now, like um, at the beginning of the movie, basically Chadwick Boatsman's character, Chahala, King Chahala of Wakanda is Trump. He's basically saying we're this amazing country and we've uh, and we need to not help other people with all this stuff that we've got. Instead, we need to just continue to thrive on our own. And Killmonger comes in and basically says, whoa, 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 like people are dying. People are starving. You're ignoring them and horrible things are happening. And you could be an antidote to all this. Why are we not doing something? And partially one of the reasons why I got so emotionally charged in this movie was the same reason why I love Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight Rises. Like, um, I actually think Dark Knight Rises was my favorite of that trilogy and not Dark Knight. And it's because of Bane, the way Bane was written and the rhetoric that he was spewing to the masses were things that I philosophically agree with most of the time. And I found myself going like, well, dude, he's not wrong. He's just using it with bombs. (laughs) And, and, and with Killmonger, it was like what he was motivated by as far as how he wanted to, like reach people, he was not wrong. The problem was he was fueled by vengeance, and that doesn't that doesn't breed good things. But well, he, I, I was just going to say that he, he. I mean, like, I, you can't argue that there was a right or wrong in this movie. It was there are two different versions of like there are two different viewpoints of looking at the same thing. Well, and I thought that I, I thought that it was really brilliant to uh, to you know. Again, I've I've touched on this movie. I've been trying to think of the right way to say this for like a week now. This movie is not, and and so so hear me out. Get to the end of the sentence before you judge me. This movie's not for <laughs> me, and I don't yeah. mean by that that I can't enjoy it. That I didn't, you know. But this movie, and it shouldn't be. You know, I'm not trying to say like, oh, I need my thing. But I'm just saying like this movie. This is not my moment. This is not my movement, and that's okay. It shouldn't be. Um, this is a movie that, you know, people who are not like me, I've got some representation now as well. It should be the thing is, however, and, and my great fear coming in right for this episode, I had a couple, but one of my great fears coming into this episode that you and I are doing is that I would sit down and be like, man, that was an awesome movie that I have nothing to say on because I'm super white and I don't think it would be my (laughs) place to judge these things. And but really, but they touched on these. They so brilliantly brought in things like economic disparity and isolationism versus interventionism. And they brought in, 
you know, what is the role of an advanced country in assisting other countries? And they started asking these questions that while the movie was not for me, your skin color is not going to affect the fact that these are relevant questions for you. And, and what I love about being, this is that I was going to say what I love about this is that Kugler played that balance so perfectly because yeah. we can get to this when we're done talking about Killmonger, but like he made a, a breathtaking action comic book movie that was just absolutely incredible. But at the same time, he also made it culturally relevant in, mm-hmm. in an arena that doesn't necessarily concern itself with that, but he did it appropriately and he rode that line so, so well. Because, because this thing could have been so like just so blunt and not subtle. Right, like it, it could have been, been, it could have been very preachy, and it also could have been very campy. But he found yeah. that he found that middle ground of how to say so much in an artistic way that made people felt like that they had been triumph, like they could triumph now, but didn't feel like he was also attacking anyone maliciously. He just was stating truth in an artful way, and also just providing a source of inspiration. Yeah, and I and I think that. The right way to approach these things, which I feel like he did, is to ask questions, you know, like at no point did I feel preached at. But, you know, I mean, there's there's this point when like, you know, when I think Killmonger calls somebody. No, it's not him. Um, It's one of the other people in Wakanda calls um, Martin Freeman's character. Um, I almost said Martin Lawrence. That is way off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Somebody almost Somebody calls Martin Martin. Oh, now I can't get it right. Martin Freeman's character colonizer, and I was kind of like, "Oh, they're talking to me." Like, "Oh, oh," um, <laughs> and and I felt like there's no way when, around that. that. That was a manifest destiny quote, is what that was. <laughs> <laughs> when when Killmonger, you know, he's in the throne room and he gives his speech about what he's about, and he kind of he monologues, you know, a little bit, and he talks about how you know our people are being oppressed, they're being put down, and they don't have the means to defend themselves. But now that's going to change. I sat there and I was like, oh man, like I don't know if I can disagree with that. Like I don't like violence, you know. I do not think that that's an okay way to respond, but I also cannot claim you know as the guy benefiting from the oppression that he's not right and exactly like and that that's what made this such a wonderful film other than the fact that it was kind of a a standalone but like his his character and his motivation is what humanized the and made the whole thing like a 360 experience instead of just one side versus another side it was like no this is like a legitimately organic experience of watching a people struggle and knowing that they are united by some commonalities, but they don't necessarily view things the same way, but it doesn't mean that one is right over the other one. It just means that they're doing a different means to get to maybe the same point. Like obviously Killmonger wanted to be in power and he wanted to help black people around the world, but also he didn't want Wakanda to fail and, you know, um, Chahala doesn't want Wakanda to fail either, and he certainly doesn't wish genocide upon his people either, but they obviously looked strikingly different. But when it came to the concept of realizing a common connection and that they were actually related, and that is what turned Chahala, and then that made him realize, like, there is a larger connection going on here, and if I am fueled by a larger connection, then that changes everything about what we do. Well, and you're, you're touching on what I think is in any superhero story, right? Because in any medium, comics, TV, movies, whatever, any superhero story, 
I, I feel like there is a very in the very best ones, there is a delicate balance to be walked where the villain is a catalyst to growth for the hero. For sure, um, for sure. And and that's not not every villain needs to be I'm not saying that's the only way we can do these things well. I am saying in the very best ones, the ones where I really walk away from it and I'm like, wow, that was so good. Um, on those ones, it's always the villain leads to some growth for the hero. And that was one thing I loved in Spider-Man. And it's one mm-hmm. thing that I really loved here is when T'Challa has his moment, when he's back in the ancestral place and he's speaking to his father and the rest of his ancestors and he screams at them, he's like, you're wrong. You know, you've abandoned the world. Hiding away was not the way to do this. And he says, Killmonger's right about some things. And that moment is such a powerful moment. And you don't get that with a different villain in this movie. And exactly, you know, and much as I love Andy Serkis, if Ulysses Claw is the primary villain, which 10 years ago, that's who we would have had as the primary villain in this movie, because Ulysses Claw is kind of like the marquee Black Panther villain from the early days. Yeah, the movie would have been 10 years ago. The movie would have been an hour and a half tight, and it would have just been back and forth between his one-liners in certain scenes and then some Wakanda stuff and then, like, two really big battles, and that's it. Right, yeah. And then and then Claw would have died, and they oh, everybody's happy, and, you know, Nick Fury pops up. Um, yeah. Oh, Samuel so I, L. I think, <laughs> I think this movie is a sign of, like, how – you know, there's there's two responses to I think the and I agree that it's oversaturated. There's two ways you can look at the oversaturation of superheroes in our world today, and I think this will be a recurring theme for us in this podcast. Although since we're one episode in, I don't know for sure, but I think there's two <laughs> ways you can you can denounce it, which many have done, and I don't know that they're wrong necessarily. Or you can say, you know, this is this is who we are as a people right now. This is what entertains us as a culture today. So the question is not how do we escape it or how do we get back to something else? It's how do we elevate this? And I think that black Panther is a, is an important step on the road to elevating this. I think we've taken, I mean, from the days of the original fantastic four, which God help me, how is that the best fantastic four movie? Um, but from the I'm days telling you, that, they're like the Star Wars. They're like the Star Wars prequels. Don't even bother ranking them. Just put them in the trash. <laughs> um, but it's like the the um, man. It, it just how far have we come, though? You know, like I remember seeing that Fantastic Four poster and be like, "Oh man, I bet that's going to be pretty good." And like now, I wouldn't even look at that poster, you know. And it's like yeah, we've yeah. just come so far with these. And that's what happens when you have a phenomenon like that as it evolves and it grows into a life of its own. And it's supposed to, even in the comic book world, it's supposed to mature to some sense. And Black Panther is definitely an icon of that silk. But I would say what one thing that was really, really interesting is um, I was talking with a friend of mine just the other day. He is um, he was a, a basketball player at the college in the city that I live in, and he is now playing professional basketball in Australia. And he had a great relationship with my daughter. We we always call him Sophia's boo. Sophia's my daughter. So we were video chatting with him because he's in Australia right now. We were video chatting with him the other night, and he said, "Okay, you've seen Black Panther, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Okay, I want to talk to you about it." I said, "Sure, what's up?" And he said, "It was so great to finally." See, he's African-American, I should say that, but he said it was so great to finally see a movie with people that look like me in it that wasn't just a story about slavery. 
And I thought about that for a second and I was like, you know what? He's right. It's like all, at least all of us white people in the Hollywood game that want to take a movie about black people and say, this is the best version of it outside of moonlight last year, which is one of the most phenomenal movies I've ever seen. But most of the time when we say this is a movie about black people, it's usually about them being in prison or a slave type of situation. And even if it's an inspirational story like hurricane with Denzel Washington, where he finally gets out, he still was in prison for two hours of that movie and like 12 years a slave, one best picture, but it was all about slaves, you know, like, and it was just like, my my buddy was just so happy to be able to see something that was futuristic, watching his people be flourishing and be the trendsetters and be talented and intelligent and be active and action packed and not have to worry about a bondage story. And I'm I was like, so holy crap, like made that connection for it. You know, this is really what we're lacking with having so many honkies on this show. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But so uh, my 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 one my buddy in in Australia, dude, give me a shout out. You know who you are, Cam. Love you, brother. Um, so that that's what and and I had a I had a moment like that when Wonder Woman came out because obviously as people are going to hear this podcast, they're going to know you're basically in the Marvel camp and I'm in the DC camp. Um, I'm a huge Superman nut, but Wonder Woman came out and. Um, I mean, I'll be I'll, full disclosure. I cried when Man of Steel came out, even though that movie is very flawed because I'm young. I'm only 30 years old. And this is the first time a, a somewhat good Superman movie was released in my lifetime that I could see in the movie theater because Superman Returns, I just refused to acknowledge. <laughs> and so it was Lowest a big deal for me. Movie. Yeah, right. So it was so hard. It was just a big deal for me to see this character that I am so attached to on screen and giving me an emotional moment. And then Wonder Woman comes out and I went to that movie with my mom and because I'm a good son. And (laughs) that moment when Wonder Woman gets up out of the trenches and charges into no man's land and starts winning the battle because it's the right thing to do. I listened to my mom weep while she watched that because my mom who is in her fifties for the first time got to watch a fantastical, talented, intelligent woman go and, and win the day in a battle like that. And I got so excited having a daughter of my own buying that movie on Blu-ray and knowing that when my daughter is old enough, I'm going to show that movie to her and it's going to be a big thing for her. And it's just so exciting to know that my daughter is always going to live in a world where that movie exists. Okay. So I was, I was concerned we would hit this, but I think in the interest of honesty and creating the best content possible, I want to butt in and say we probably need to have an episode some point when it's like a slow news period and there's nothing really else to talk about. We need to debate Wonder Woman because I didn't love it. Okay. Um, You're wrong. <laughs> and well, this is the first time I'm telling you this. <laughs> and I actually like have sat on this to get the moment where I confessed it to you. Um, uh, so here it is, my I'm- soul laid bare. And we can get into all that in another episode. And I don't hate Wonder Woman. Let me be clear. I am not relegating it to Spider-Man 3 or Fantastic Four status. I'm not saying that. Um, and it's sure, a whole different sure. – but I, I think it's relevant here because my, my fear on Wonder Woman – or my fear for Black Panther – my feeling about Wonder Woman is that it was an okay movie that Hollywood wanted me to thank them for. And I yeah. felt like they wanted me to say, oh, 
man, I, I have a wife and a mother and daughter and you let them believe that they matter as much as me. And I, and I think that like, to me, that was, you know, I mean, I, I felt like Wonder Woman, I was afraid that Black Panther was going to be them saying like, yeah, we threw you a bone. Here's a movie with people that aren't white in it. Come thank us. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. we got to have the Wonder Woman debate one day. Um, but that's, yeah. I, I, I will say, though, um, that I think Black Panther, and I think you and I are in agreement, it it's it, it transcends that component to a point of saying like this is an important movie for a myriad of reasons and it's yeah. not just because it was a PC move. It is a damn good movie. And let me I wanna I wanna pivot cinematically just a little bit here. I would say that um a couple of things that stuck out to me. First of all, the opening segment with the the sand art. And the oh, storytelling, yeah. the generational thing. What did you think about that? That was like a, a brilliant opening, right? Yeah, I, you know, one thing that I never have considered a lot until the last few years is how important the opening credits can be or like the opening prologue to set a tone for a film. And I think like, again, I keep, man, I'm, I feel like Marvel right now because I'm giving previews for things that haven't happened yet. We should have a podcast on this. Um we need to do a Watchmen episode, but, um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like a Watchmen series, right? Man, just let's do the month of Watchmen. Um, but you know, and I think you and I've talked about this before the Watchmen film has its flaws. It has its good points. It has its bad. But what I thought was the perfect part of that movie was the opening credits for sure. They play, what was it? The um, best, oh, it's the best opening credits segment of the 21st century. Probably. I mean, well, cause it's like, it takes the most complex work, of comic book fiction in human history and makes half of it into just like a three minute segment played over Bob Dylan. And yet you get every bit of it. And like, if the rest of the movie contained that level of subtlety and nuance, then it would have been the greatest movie I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> oh my I'm, not, I'm not trying you're, to dump on know, Watchmen, you know, I'm you're, just you're saying, totally but, right though. You're totally right. But um, so I felt like to, to answer your question though. Yeah. I felt like the, the sand art, the visual style there. One thing I kept sitting there thinking is like, this doesn't feel like it felt like a Marvel movie, but at the same time, it, you know, I didn't need Robert Downey Jr. to fly in and wink at me, you know? And See, I love, I loved that. I loved that. It was a standalone that it was just by that. And yeah. I will say, I think part of the reason why this movie was so successful in that was actually because we got introduced to the Black Panther character in the crappy movie Civil War. So, like, as as much as I <laughs> see, wanted, now we're gonna have another debate on that because I liked Civil War a lot. Yeah, see, as, as much as I dumped on Civil War when it came out, like, because uh, I just think it was very over. It was a it was a decent movie. I just thought it was super overrated. Civil War, if nothing else, we can give it credit for giving us all of the exposition of black Panther. So then the black Panther movie can come in and just be all killer, no filler. Because if we didn't, if we didn't have that introduction in civil war, the first 40 minutes, maybe even more of black Panther, the whole first act of the black Panther Would movie is dramatically. Yeah. It'd been completely different and a lot more slowed down and it wouldn't have been as gripping from the get go. I don't think. Well, and I, I also think that, um, you know, one as much as I enjoy the Marvel movies, I love this period of nerdery that we're in. I do get really tired of paying ten dollars 
to go watch a two hour trailer for a movie that isn't going to be out for three years. And yeah, which is I just mean, the Avengers been, line. Right. It's been beaten to death. So I'm not going to get into it real deep, but like, you know, the Avengers two age of Ultron is the ultimate example of this where like how much of that movie was what Joss Whedon wanted to make and how much was Chris Hemsworth screaming in water so that they could get us to come see Avengers three, which we were freaking already going to come see. And hot take, maybe not so hot take because he's finally starting to get some backlash on Twitter the last six or seven months. But I think Joss Whedon is the most overrated like person in in Hollywood, maybe like as far as like just I I don't know. I don't understand. And that'll be another podcast for another day. Okay, see, that's the thing is I have seen Firefly and maybe I'm the one person that didn't think it was good because I thought it was mediocre. I really liked Firefly, but don't you think it's like one of those things where if Firefly had gotten two seasons, then Joss Whedon's entire empire is different? Maybe, but see, people still like to say that he's responsible for Buffy, but I thought Buffy was pretty bad, too. See, I never watched and, Buffy. I didn't get and into he Buffy. Does, and he, he doesn't know how to write women well, which is a huge, huge problem. And I just I, – my biggest thing is – He's not untalented, but if we're being completely honest, the best thing he's ever done was be the script doctor for Toy Story. Everything else <laughs> is less, and I, I don't understand why we're just automatically assuming that he gets like VIP treatment status when it comes to big movies. That's an interesting thing because I've not given that a lot of thought. I mean, I, I'm going to kind of stick up for Firefly, I think, but I also have been known to say many times that I actually think it's good that it didn't go on. Because I think nothing can like what's the the dark night, you know, you either live long enough to see yourself become the villain or, you know, you die a hero. And I think Firefly got to die a hero. But um, But I will say um, I would say just cinematically about Black Panther. The the other thing that I absolutely I mean, obviously, like the Mitch's role is to get us back on track, everybody. The, the the James Bond-ish action sequence in South yes. Korea was amazing. I, the, the action stuff was awesome. But I'm, I, I want to specifically just kind of go film nerd here for a second. The two biggest things that stuck out to me the most, other than the moment where Killmonger um, dies, which is just like I, uh, maybe the most seminal moment in comic book movies. But um, I will say that the two moments that just really stick with me that I haven't been able to get out of my mind, which is a good thing, are the two moments where Chahala and Killmonger each go back to the supernatural realm after they've oh, been yeah. anointed. And when Chahala goes in initially and sees his father for the first time since he's died and his father says, you will be imperfect, you will make mistakes. Like that's a tender moment. And the way that they filmed it, very ethereal and supernatural and like Aurora Borealis like it was stunning and breathtaking. And if that that scene was just a standalone, it would still be a high point of the movie. But then. Oh my gosh, like maybe the most emotional moment of the movie for me was when Killmonger goes back uh, into that to, apartment to his Oakland apartment and Sterling oh K. Gosh. Brown. Sterling K. Brown does the thing that he does best, which is rips your heart out in a short period of time. And that's the moment for me where because that's that's the scene before Killmonger has his big speech for everyone where he's like, we got to save our brothers. This is the moment for me where I immediately was like, OK. I am on team Killmonger, even though I know I'm not supposed to be, and he's going to probably <laughs> die in the end. Like, because that, that was the humanized moment. And then that was the moment that helped turn Chahala too. like all of that sets the stage for us to be all like, 
this makes sense. He is wounded in a realistic way, and I want to root for him. Part of me wants to root for him, and it was done so well. And the stark difference between the the ethereal African forest and the rundown Oakland apartment, and the dueling proud fathers, and and just everything. It was. I thought that's the sign of Kugler doing what he does best, which is taking a moment and making. He's infusing a moment of humanity in a very artistic and profound way, even if it is in the middle of a comic book escapist movie. Well, and um, I thought that, that's something only Kugler could have done, I think. Yeah, and in that scene in the apartment when his dad – like the moment that really stuck out for me, maybe this is because I have a, a, a little boy, like I have a young son. Um, but when he becomes a little kid again – at first, mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I'm only getting so much Michael B. Jordan here. And but that's then, how he views himself in that moment. He sees yes, his dad and, then and when immediately his dad, goes back to being a kid. When his dad is like, what I tell you about getting in my stuff? And then he smiles at him. Like, human was the, the word that I thought. I was like, this is such a human interaction between a father and his son. And mm-hmm. it was such – man, because Killmonger could have been – so over the top he could have been he, he could have just have been, been the stereotypical mercenary yes yeah, so irredeemable and he could have been you know we're gonna blow stuff up because that's what we do and instead he man that moment was so important in there can i tell you what i didn't you know and i, I don't want to spoil you want to get into this is not what i would change for your awards later um okay but but something i would change a little a little gripe when he comes out of that trance, he jumps up and like, you know, Andre the Giant choke slams an old he's lady. Like ready to go. Or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, burn it all. Destroy the heart-shaped herb. And like, no one but me will ever be king. And that for me, that's the only part of the whole movie that it kind of took me out of. I was like, you know, you had such a relatable character. If he had come out of that and like single teardrop roll down his cheek, you got me. But the whole like suddenly remind you that I'm the bad guy here, I think it undermined the rest of the whole thing where he was, you know, such an identifiable character, such a relatable villain with such an easily rooted for evil plot. And I thought him wanting to choke slam old ladies and burn the the royal line kind of kind of went back on that just a little bit reminded you hey it's still a comic book i can completely see where you're coming from i will play devil's advocate and just argue that please do that could just that could just be his coping mechanism for the sake of that that hard personality that he's trying to portray oh, and, that, and that's actually felt- what i figured was the motivation you're right that's what i figured yeah. was the justification in the scene i but it was yeah, a bit no, you're, over you're probably right yep it, it, and 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 there were a few moments like as much as I love this movie, there were I, like there is with any comic book movie, especially oh, yeah. moments of imperfection or moments that could have been clarified a little bit more. Which this is what happens. Um, so, just real quickly, I want off the cuff answer, hot okay. take, best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie made. Um. Probably yes, uh, and I, I really, you know, you said off the cuff, so I just threw that word out there. Um, <laughs> Probably yes. <laughs> yeah, I, those two words, yes. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm I'm loyal to Spider Man is always my favorite, but that's not the best movie Marvel's made. Um, it's a good one. Um, I really love the Guardians of the Galaxy series. I thought Thor Ragnarok 
was the best kind of insanity. Um, I will say, like, just shout out to 2017 maybe being the best comic book single year for movies. Yeah. We had we had Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Thor Ragnarok. Well, and, you know, whatever people thought of it, the fact that we finally got a Justice League movie after like 15 years of failed attempts. Well, um, see, the thing is, is like I obviously am biased going in. I enjoyed that movie more than I should have, but I didn't want to list it with all of those because then everyone would discredit me. But yes, Justice oh, League. Call. So I probably just totally destroyed everybody just unsubscribed from Dude, us. I, it, Justice League came out a week after my 30th birthday. So I rented out the movie theater in the town that I live in and invited my 15 closest friends. And we had a private showing of it. That's how badly I wanted to see Justice League. Mitch is the cool guy here. Just um, <laughs> we uh, no, but but like, yeah, I mean, that was a really great year. I know. I know you don't love Civil War. That's kind of my standard for Marvel films. But I think Black Panther. Yeah, it's probably the best. There's your off the cuff okay. answer that took five minutes. That's all right. So is Black Panther the best comic book movie ever made? Man, the Dark Knight is still out there. Like. I would the Dark Knight would is say, like a perfect film. Like I think the Dark Knight is in the same breath as movies like The Godfather. Um I, I think it really is, but I think that the Dark Knight is that rare moment where everything clicks, everything works, and you get something that is bigger than the sum of its parts. And so I mean like <sighs> No, I can't, I can't call it the best ever. It's certainly more important than The Dark Knight, you know? I mean, The Dark Knight's not dealing with true social issues. It's it's dealing with men dressed as clowns. Um, but... <laughs> I will say, I, I think... Um, I will officially go on the record and say that Black Panther is the best Marvel movie made yet. And I, just, I think it blew the, the, the roof off of the whole universe. It's just I, I feel like it, it came out and said, like, here's the standard. We are setting it now. I dare you to try to live up to it. Um, and as far as best comic book movie ever made, I think I think it's top three. I would not put it number one. What would you put number one? It's a toss up between Dark Knight and V for Vendetta. Oh, V for Vendetta. So good. Like Viva Vendetta is like kind of like a an underbelly choice, but I mean like it, that is gosh darn it is a damn near perfect movie. Alan Moore, um, we love you. We're really sorry we like this movie. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, I, I love I love the book more than the movie if that helps. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, so, I, I mean, feel like he's got a Google alert that every time somebody <laughs> praises a movie made off of one of his books, he like adds them to a list of enemies. Yeah, and then he goes and kills a llama or something. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, three quick awards as we're winding down here. So who do you think won the movie? It can be anybody in the movie or somebody on the production team or, any, or like a company or anything, just anything. Who do you think won Black Panther? I mean, it's got to be Killmonger, right? Like he – and maybe by extension Michael B. Jordan um, – because I saw this meme that made me laugh really hard and it was, you know, Marvel redeeming two out of two human torches. And it's got like Chris Evans as Captain America. And <laughs> it, it's right. Um, I mean, full it's gotta be Killmonger, right? Like we've, we've sat here and basically salivated over the guy through the entire thing. And it's like T'Challa is such an awesome hero. And he's so much one of my new favorite characters in the Marvel cinematic universe. And yet he's not the star of his own movie, right? Like he's in about 
three times as much film as Killmonger and has about a third the impact. And that's not a knock on anyone. That's I'm not trying to knock Bozeman or the character. The way the movie was written. It's the way it was written. What about you? Who who do you think wins the movie? Ryan Coogler. I think this this vaults him into the Steven Spielberg conversation and now he can he can literally pick any script, any project that he wants, any budget that he wants. And the guy is going to be, I mean, like, I don't know if his career takes the trajectory that it seems to be going on 25 years from now, he may arguably be one of the faces on the Hollywood directors, Mount Rushmore. Like, man, that could be hyperbole, but like, I mean, he's on the way, man. He's the internet for not hyperbole, right? Hot take coming in hot. All right. (laughs) So, um, sixth man of the movie. Who is the the person in the movie that wasn't necessarily a headliner that you thought was um, someone that made it to the Olympic podium? Mbaku. Mbaku. Yeah, he's getting a lot of M'Baku. internet love you know right that, now. Say what? He's getting a lot of internet love right now. Winston Duke. Do you do you know in the comics? Do you know what Mbaku's uh, identity is as a character in comic books? I have no clue. He is the man ape. <laughs> so somebody was like proofreading this script and like, okay, so let's see. We got, we got Everett Ross in there. Cause you know, apparently we still got to put a white man in. Um, we've got Killmonger's going to really bring it together. And then, Oh man, what? No, no, we can't do that in Africa. Um, I really <laughs> Somebody was like, wait, 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 wait. You're going to call him what? And so uh, good call, Marvel, naming him well Baku. Um, but yeah, he. I feel like he stole every scene he was in. Um, he brought that levity and that comic relief while still having a really good character arc in his whole like five minutes of screen time. He had a commanding presence. Yeah. He filled the screen for sure. Um I'm going to go ahead and go with Okoye, played by Denai Guerrero, who was oh, the yeah. Army General. Um, the And, oh, my gosh. Like, I just can't think of – I don't know. I think of the different female characters in cinema and TV that if I could show them to my daughter and be like, these are the best ones and these are, like, the bad A ones that are just doing amazing things and owning who they are. Like, she's at the top of the list. Like, <laughs> that, that well, woman, like – there, there were moments in that movie where I was like, she not only is owning this movie, but she could deserve her own movie. Well, and, and to continue our Ryan Coogler love fest, um, kudos to him, not just for changing M'Baku's name, but he also dropped one of the only like truly weird parts of Christopher Priest's run. Um, so Christopher Priest introduced Okoye's group, the Dora Milaje, those women. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, try and type that sentence out. Um, <laughs> not and- happening. <laughs> Um, but so in the comics, the Dora Milaje are actually um, potential brides for T'Challa, who are all oh like gosh. brought to him as children and trained to be warriors so he can choose one to marry. And so good on Ryan Coogler for saying we can we can make this less weird <laughs> and we can make it stronger. And right. Exactly. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Mick Coogler, brilliant. Ryan Coogler, man. Ryan Coogler, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Give yeah. the guy a medal. He knows when to stop being creepy. Way to go, Ryan. All right. Well, Jake, we did it. We reached we, – we made it. Our first episode. We're here. Yes. We've done it. It's in the can. All right. 
So check us out online, folks. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, find us on iTunes or Spreaker or CastBox or anywhere else you uh, subscribe to your, your potters. And uh, give us a subscribe. And if you're feeling a little bit extra fancy, give us a rate and a review because that's what nice people do. Um, check us out at watchingcomics.com. We're on Instagram at watchingcomics and Twitter at comics with an X pod. Uh, comic watch comics pod on twitter hit us up we want your fan mail we want your episode ideas we want to hear your hot takes about whether you think joss whedon is a good uh dude or not and if you thought black panther was really amazing because it was um jake any final words uh just you know i want to stop and take this first episode to make sure that anybody listening knows that the man who has put this together if you enjoyed any part of this you have mitch to thank for this this man has slaved away on this thing while I have been – let's I'm going to read some comic books about this. Um, and Mitch has worked his tail off, and Mitch has really organized it. He has uh, been – he wrote me the single most like flat – like spoilers, I didn't write the website. And Mitch did like the most flattering <laughs> bio possible where I had like – you know, it's like I've cried at Creed and that. And so, um, man, just – Guys, thank Mitch. If you enjoyed any part of this, give him some love. And uh, if you got an idea for a Twitter handle that I could manage to use, I may be willing to jump back into Twitter if people want to talk to me. Let's start a campaign, folks. Twitterless Jake needs to make a comeback. (laughs) All right. So we will come at you with another fresh episode in the very near future. In the meantime, go enjoy some nerd stuff. See ya. See ya.